Welcome to The Rock Fight, where we speak our truth, slay sacred cows, and sometimes agree to disagree. As we've covered here on The Rock Fight, the outlook for how we make the stuff that enables our outdoor adventures is pretty bleak. Even the best intended gear or apparel maker has to operate within a system that is extractive and impactful regardless of the lack of forever chemicals or the amount of recycled content. And greenwashing is pervasive. In a lot of cases, our favorite brands are misleading us into thinking that purchasing their products is a, quote, green decision, even though there is no clear roadmap for us to keep the garment in circulation and out of a landfill when we're finished with it. Until legislation is passed that will help us clean up how we make things, we as consumers are in a tough place. The pressure is on us to buy less. But stuff is cheap and plentiful, and research shows that shopping is compulsive and can be downright addicting. Add in the fact that the majority of the apparel-making world doesn't have the built-in drive to do right by the environment as outdoor brands do, and we're in a real pickle. However, there is something that helps keep it simple for consumers, changes how we buy our products for the better, and is already a relevant player in the gear and apparel world. Second hand. In the coming months, we'll be digging deeper into secondhand as it relates specifically to the outdoor industry and the impact it can provide to outdoor enthusiasts. But first, I want to understand more about secondhand as a philosophy and how meaningful it can be to the apparel world at large. So I reached out to Sophie Benson. Sophie is a UK-based journalist who is primarily focused on environmental issues surrounding the apparel and fashion industry. Her work includes extensive coverage on topics such as fast fashion, the apparel industry's role in climate change, and of course, how secondhand clothing can help us out of this mess. You can read more about her and her work at sophiebenson.com, and I'll link that in the show notes. So let's get going. I'm Colin True. Welcome back to The Rock Fight. And today, we're picking a fight with how we shop and learn from Sophie Benson how we need to think secondhand first. All right, we're back. We're here today with Sophie Benson. Sophie, thanks so much for joining the show. Glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. So I did an episode of the show on sustainability, and my guest was a guy named Ken Pucker, and he and I spoke about the fact that consumers really can't be the driving force between holding apparel manufacturers accountable and that legislation is probably going to be a requirement uh, to get apparel making where it needs to be. And we're starting to see some of those things in, in Europe and even some things introduced here in the United States. But I was reading an article you wrote on Good On You last August that recapped a lot of what is happening in the secondhand world, which on paper, at paper at least, it seems sort of like a potential short-term stopgap, maybe even a long-term solution until we can sort of get our shit together in the apparel manufacturing world. So starting broadly, you know, someone with your background and um, you've gone into this topic in a pretty deep way. When you talk, think about secondhand apparel, what does it really mean to you? Like how much, how much emphasis do you put on this as an actual solution? Yeah, I put a huge emphasis on secondhand. I think it's, I would never look at it as a band-aid. I definitely think it's a, a huge part of the solution, primarily because it's such uh, the existence of secondhand is so central to the circuit to the circular economy, um, which really is what we need to focus on um, in order to fix the the mess that you know fashion corporations have made with overproduction and the uh, the uh, promotion of of overconsumption. Um, so you know, in order to offset uh, the extractive nature of um, apparel in order to offset the huge levels of overproduction that we have. We have to maximise what already exists. 
both in a material sense and a financial sense, mm. there has to be a financial driver uh, for brands to to change their behaviour because, you know, that's still ultimately what's, I think, what's the most important uh, uh, kind of driver for their decision-making. Um, and I think there are really good examples of secondhand making a huge impact, but perhaps just not in the places that we expect to look. Mm. Um, so in uh, recently, um, the All Foundation, the, the non-profit that works in Cantamanto market, um, which receives millions and millions of um, of quote unquote donations from the global north um, every single week. Um, they they published some figures, um, some recirculation figures, and they're incredible. So uh, there was one tailor called Bismarck um, who'd worked at the the market for twenty years, and in his time, he's recirculated one point five million garments. Uh, another called Samson, uh, been there for thirty years. They've recirculated nearly a million garments. Others have recirculated, you know, two hundred fifty thousand half a million garments i think brands in the global north could really only dream of that but i think that is an example of um you know circularity in action and right. and the economic value of secondhand fashion what is the global north the global north is markets that are considered to be um economically and industrially more developed Okay, so mm-hmm. within so basically within where you live in the UK here in the United States, they've had some success actually proving this model out is what is kind of what this sounds like it's getting at. Yeah, well, I mean, it, well, the, the Cantamanto market is is based in the global south, so I think people think the global north is providing all the answers, but actually, if we look to the the markets that we have historically dumped on, right. um, out of you know necessity um in terms of environment and finance they have become a model of um you know sustainability and what a circular apparel economy looks like so what does that say to you because okay i'm a pushing 50 year old you know uh, (laughs) guy who's kind of grown up in the consume consume era right starting Mm -hmm. with you know i I got the tail end in the 70s and 80s of like getting hand-me-downs and things like that and have seen it fully through to clicking a button on a device in my pocket to get whatever I want in 24 hours. And so I, you know, I think it, one reason I wanted to chat with you is thinking of that conversation with Ken, where we kind of came to this conclusion of like, it's a lot to ask the consumers to drive the change. And if the brands aren't going to do it, that's why we come back to legislation. So, but I also think I still default to, if I think, oh, I need that or want that, I don't, it takes me three extra steps to get to secondhand, right? I'm starting now because I'm having these conversations, but not everyone's having the conversations that I'm having. So seeing the success, seeing these, you know, uh, these organizations who, or individuals who are having success with secondhand, what does that say to you about who, like, who's driving the demand for that? Is that, is it all young people? Is it kind of across the board? Is there a demographic where, you know, secondhand is actually like, oh no, no, that they, they do think of it first. Not like you old guy, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the in the case of Cantamanto, that's a it's almost a um a quite a niche example because there is so much product there, and so it's kind of become the norm to to shop secondhand because it's it's the default. That's what there is overwhelmingly. That's the choice. Um, however, when you step away from that into you know the UK and the US, where realistically the first choice is for lots of people just buying something new, um. Certainly, there has been like a, a groundswell of movement towards um, secondhand within the kind of millennial and Gen Z um, mm-hmm. generations. 
And I think a lot of that just has to do with the the launch of uh, of resale platforms um, and how it's become kind of easier, more accessible. You know, if you don't live in somewhere that has great thrift stores or um, somewhere that has, you know, fantastic vintage stores, you still have that access to it. So I think the the kind of development of that technology has been incredibly helpful. Yeah, and it, just anecdotally speaking, like I think that's been an interesting change. If you go in, a thrift shop was very different when I was a kid versus what it is now. And you can still find, I guess, like the big dumping ground, Goodwill style stores. But mm-hmm. if you're in any sort of small town now, I feel like you're going to find the super cool thrift shop where it's like, hey, it, it, the, the tags are on it. You know, hey, this is from 1963 and that's why it's $150. <laughs> and I watch my kids who are between 12 and 17. And we walk into these stores again, anecdotally speaking, but it's just like to walk in, watch them get really excited. And then also they will say, I want to go shop there. And they don't say, oh, I want to save the environment and everything like that. They, they don't they don't understand the social impact. They just know that it's cool mm-hmm. to shop there. I almost liken it to like the vinyl resurgence in a way, right? It's like mm-hmm. all of a sudden vinyl was dead and now, oh no, no, vinyl is not dead. You know, it is, it, there is a market for it. Only in this case, it's uh, there's, some, there's some good that comes with it, I guess. Yeah, and I think really that's where we need to be. I think we know that there's this, that say-do gap. So Every single consumer survey that's ever existed has, you know, nine out of 10 consumers say they want to shop more sustainably. But then right. when you actually look at where they're shopping or the the brands that are coming through and completely dominating the market, it's it's new fast fashion that has huge social and environmental impact. So we can't really drive with the sustainability messaging. So the fact that, you know, your kids, for example, want to go thrifting because they think that's cool, that's really key. And I think that's what's going to... Yeah make it more successful it is funny because it's such an emotional purchase right last summer i was actually on a river trip and i was with some family uh, some friends were there and their daughter who was i think 16 at the time were sitting there chatting and uh, i'd had you know a couple of couple of beverages at the end of the day sitting alongside <laughs> the river sitting in a chair in the river in uh in rural utah and um and i was pontificating about you know the state of apparel and you know started just kind of shitting all over sheen about how they're the devil and like mm-hmm. the, the real the one yeah, of the real problems in the world and without <laughs> missing a beat you know their 16 year old daughter who's you know a great kid goes oh i love Sheehan. you yeah. know and it's right but it's that it is because it's that emotional thing and they do su- it's mm-hmm. oh, how much of it is marketing right and it's cheap mm-hmm. and it's on your phone and bam and it shows up and by the time you realize that it's falling apart after the third wear mm-hmm. you know you that feeling is long gone and you're on to the next thing. It, it is. I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but it kind of reminds me of like almost like a drug habit. Right. I mean, it's that sort of it's that rush of like, oh, man, look at that. I'm buying it. And then you don't even care anymore once you have it. Right. It's about getting the next thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily think you are you are overstating it. OK, maybe it's not it's not going to be as extremely life altering as a <laughs> as a drug habit. But, you know, when I've interviewed um, uh, consumer psychologists and fashion psychologists that the sort of psychology and biology it is there and there's proof that even before the parcel has arrived that feeling of novelty has worn off and we're already kind of over it right because it's you, not you forget the it shows up you're like oh yeah i bought that <laughs> yeah yeah and i do speak to people who have parcels turning up and they don't you know they don't know what it is because it's the it's like the hunt isn't it rather than the yeah the thing itself that sometimes the product is almost meaningless right and it becomes really easy to almost forgive the sins of the person who's your dealer, right? It's like, well, <laughs> you know, she and may have manufactured like thousands of garments, never distribute them, and just put them in a landfill somewhere. But 
that really top that top I get was really nice. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and it was also, only five bucks. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. I think because it's so cheap, it's like, well, well, what does it matter? You know, um, maybe I don't like it, maybe I don't care about it when it arrives, but realistically, it doesn't have that much impact on, right. my, on my bank balance. So, you know, who cares? I think I think that sort of almost helps ease the the kind of cycle. Right. Well, mm-hmm. it's our, our conversation is timely because I think it was just within the last week or so that uh, the organization ThreadUp, that's Thread without an A, is predicting that the global secondhand market is going to hit $350 billion worldwide in 2027, which that's an impressive number. I did a quick just Google search, so take this with a grain of salt, but it looks like the global apparel market in general right now is about a $1.5 trillion market using U.S. numbers here. Um so that by measure that, you know, secondhand is trailing quite a bit, but still $350 billion is nothing to sneeze at. Now, what what is the deal, though, with ThreadUp? I'm not that familiar with them. I'm reading their, their um, the reports they're putting out. I'm a little gun shy having worked in sort of the apparel and textile space uh, for a long time because we've always had organizations like between HIG and OKOTEX and Blue Sign, and it always felt like trying to do good but not really sure the impact they're having other than just collecting checks from all their members so i don't say that's the story here and i want to ask you someone a little closer to the ground on this like what is the story with thread up yeah i guess the the thing with thread up and uh, how i would say i think they differ from the the kind of organizations that you've just mentioned is that they're not you know a certification body they're not necessarily an industry body they provide resale as a service so they are kind of facilitating the the thing that they're they're focusing on and you know they do use market research and um surveys and their annual reports as marketing and i think Mm -hmm. it does really well to keep people talking about secondhand and you know anytime someone wants to to quote a stat about the growth of the secondhand market you're gonna then inherently be talking about um thread up um but you know so many huge companies kind of use that as a marketing ta- uh you know tactic um so i don't think that's necessarily um unusual i think they're just trying to i suppose solidify their position as kind of an industry expert in a sense do you feel that's working i mean are you are you seeing them pop up where you would want them to or are consumers becoming aware and it just i know you may not have real data to support that, but it's, I mean, is it anecdotally speaking, at least? What do you, yeah. what is your impression their effectiveness? <laughs> yeah. Anecdotally, I mean, certainly I see lots of my peers referencing okay. um, their stats. And of course, I have as well. Um, on a, a consumer level, um, you know, I have seen kind of if perhaps issues with like wait times for processing and, and that kind of thing. So, how mm-hmm. much, how much success they're having on a consumer level reputationally? Um, there might be some issues there. Um, but from an industry standing, I think um it's, you know, it's kind of it's kind of looking good for them. So I think there's it's almost like they're playing to two quite different audiences there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the consumer, I mean, it looks like the conclusion you sort of drew, my, my takeaway from your good on you article, and I want to know too if you have any sort of, you know, uh since that since last summer, is there anything else you're like, oh, that would have been interesting. This is a new development that would have been would have worked in, in that in that recap. But um you know, while there's upside to secondhand, I got mm-hmm. I call like there's still be foul play by many apparel brands as they sort of double dip by driving first quality sales with secondhand business. I think we're seeing this a lot where mm-hmm. the people are like, oh, look at our secondhand business. Uh, well, you can use your credits here to buy all of our first quality goods or wh- <laughs> whatever it is. 
Um, but that secondhand being normalized will have a positive effect. Is that is that about right? Is that was that sort of your conclusion where where you got to on that? Uh, in that yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's it was. Um, I think the title was circular or cynical, and I think yes. generally my my conclusion that yes, it is cynical. I mean, I'm a very cynical person anyway because I've heard all the kind of marketing lines in the book. Um, but it's you know if you look at kind of the size of the the resale efforts versus how much is being produced, you know it does seem to be a kind of ticking the the S of the ESG um, kind of expectations for their board or for their consumers. Um, you know I think uh, you know I think the normalization and it becoming um, almost expected of brands is yeah. really positive. Um, but I, you know, I don't think that it's a kind of altruistic move on on part of brands. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, do you do you think the consumers are starting to kind of get hip to what apparel brands do? I mean, I think you look at other, I don't know, like organic food or just something where you've had like people have been misled along the way, and you kind of slowly start to realize what you know what the right and wrong way, the right and wrong approach to maybe how to spend your money. Do you feel like consumers are starting to understand? You know the you can't always necessarily trust trust these folks. I mean, I speaking of the outdoor industry, and I've said this, I think even on the show before, of I get really frustrated with outdoor brands who are constantly marketing themselves as the kind of top of the pyramid. We're the super cool outdoors. If anybody who shops here is going on a week long backpacking trip, when you're a billion dollar company because you sell t shirts and trucker hats, right? I mean, yes. and there's a disingenuous nature there. <laughs> Yeah. And there's and it's and I'm not calling them all evil. I I mean, Patagonia does this right. I It's like, you know, mm -hmm. and they're the most probably maybe one of the more altruistic companies in the world. <laughs> but they mm -hmm. still have a, a certain level of bullshit in their marketing that everybody of else. Does, right. Yeah. And so do you think consumers are starting to be aware or do you think that the almost that brand love that people have that kind of like glosses over any wrongdoings maybe happening behind the scenes? Yeah, I think I think this is a really interesting question because in some sense, um it was easy to say, yeah, consumers are getting wise. Um, you know, there's lots of talk about greenwashing, um, there's loads of articles on kind of how to spot it and what it is. You know, in The Guardian there was a guide to greenwashing language um here in the UK over the weekend. And so as a concept, it's it's becoming more popular. However, when I then step away from my kind of position within, right. you know, the sustainable industry and I speak to people who just go shopping at, well, you know, they go to Zara on the weekend, order from Asos or wherever it is, um, I'll tend to hear more things like, oh, well, isn't, isn't it okay now, though? Because like H&M Recycle or X, Y and Z do this. And so I think broadly, the marketing is is kind of working. Yes, there definitely is skepticism. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think on a on a broad level, um, yeah, it it's it's cutting through. Um, and perhaps that's why um, you know, government and advertising bodies are are um are stepping in because it's yeah. necessary because you know, there's the there's the odd few people who are kind of bringing class action legal cases against brands, but I think, you know, the the broad consumer market is is fooled and why wouldn't you be when when people are spending millions of dollars on on marketing and incredibly clever and sometimes scientific sound language oh just that like especially in the outdoor space 
Mm-hmm. You can go out to an, any major outdoor and and because there's this inherent that well you care about the environment because you're mm-hmm. enabling my outdoor activity and I go yes. outside because I love going outside. So of course <laughs> you're you're going to do the right thing, right? And then you get the hang tag to your point of like well, it's got, you know, a recycled thread in it. So now it's green. You know, I love mm-hmm. the, just this this huge chasm. You know, you're jumping over the Grand Canyon to be, from <laughs> here to it's green. You know, like you've saved yeah. the environment by buying this jacket. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say know. that I think that's a really interesting point about that you're this messaging that you're saving the environment by buying something because realistically (laughs) actually the best thing you could do is is not buy that thing right by making you feel that you're an eco warrior by purchasing then we immediately start to connect consumption and capitalism with that being the the solution to to the climate crisis when of course it's it's the opposite of that and kind of undoing all of those systems yeah, back to the earlier thing. Maybe, maybe actually, this is worse than a drug habit because this is not only like your 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 dealers enabling you by telling you that it's healthy what you're doing, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> Heroin's good for you is basically what they're saying, right? It's like yeah. it's like no, no, no. You can have the lovely experience of pressing purchase and feel okay about it because mm-hmm. you know we've used plastic bottles in our in our garment, but we're not going to tell mm-hmm. you about the fact that p- plastic bottles could be recycled in like perpetuity. But it can mm-hmm. only be recycled into a garment once. And then you know what's going to happen eventually? That garment, mm-hmm. you've, you've stay, it's a stay of execution. That garment's not going to landfill tomorrow, but it's still going to end up there at some point, right? That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, um, you know, beyond that, you know, like if you talk about plastic bottles and oh, I did a big dive into ocean bound plastics recently, and a lot of them haven't been in the ocean. And a lot of them weren't actually going to the ocean, you know. So, but there are uh. things like that, you know, that, how would the how would the consumer even even know that? So I think the simple language that's used. Yeah. Why would you not feel amazing if you're wearing a coat that was made from something that would have you know tangled up a a turtle? Of right. course you feel great. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I imagine you. I still do. I fall victim to some of that. I feel good about mm-hmm. even if it's like, oh, this bottle of soap, like this pump bottle of soap, was made from plastic from the ocean, and that's you know, and I believe that. Okay, why wouldn't I? Right. You feel like there's, mm-hmm. there's, they must be held accountable somewhere. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. I don't know. And your point, too, about, you know, uh, coming outside of your bubble to what's actually happening in the real world. I mean, that, that does happen in my house. I mean, my kids still love going to Target. Mm-hmm. They love to go shop at Target, right? It's the, I don't know what the 1985 equivalent was for me. Maybe it was like the local mini mart where I would buy bubble gum or whatever. <laughs> but they just like, oh, mom, dad, can we go to Target this weekend? And, mm-hmm. you know, and they kind of come home with whatever tchotchke they want and would, and, and and I'm always preaching. I'm the guy, I'm the total recycle guy in the house, like, you know, do everything we can, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. But it's still like, you know, and, and they do get the experiences of going to the thrift shops and things as well. But they still mm-hmm. love going to see the rows of crap at the giant big box store, mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah. and, I, and I don't know. I mean, I think that what's maybe the balance we're striving for is I mean, the thing I said to Ken and he, the, he and I were chatting about was that. There are there is a I don't want this to become a doom and gloom episode. I think I think there's a lot to be optimistic <laughs> about that. If you weren't if we weren't up against what pick your year deadline that we're up against, like 2030, 2035, 2050, the climate goals that everybody kind of goes on and on about. Mm-hmm. You do see consumer behavior changing. The fact that people are interested in the fact that this has a recycled fiber in it, like those are all good developments. It does mm-hmm. feel like we're up against it a little bit in whatever goals we have to achieve to avoid the worst of climate change. But. I did speak to um, the head of an outdoor secondhand uh, retailer right now who recently said that, you know, we'll probably never lose the need for new stuff, 
but that second hand is really going to help us with our overconsumption problem. Is that how you see it? Is that kind of like, is that a balance that we're kind of trying to get to? Or do you, are you more of, we should just stop making new stuff. We have all the new <laughs> stuff we need forever at this point. You know, like, yeah, how do you, how do you I, view those two I, things and how do we, how do like, how do we square them, you know? Yeah, I mean, definitely when I'm feeling frustrated and when I'm seeing pictures of clothes piled up in the desert, I, of course, I think, <laughs> God, can we just stop this right stop now? Making things. You know, nothing more, <laughs> exactly. And I kind of feel, feel quite claustrophobic, actually, about all the shit that's out there. And yeah, um, however, um, you know, employment would come crashing down, the economy would, would suffer. So it's not right. it's not a realistic, it's not it's a realistic. Got, it's the world um, we made for ourselves, right? I mean Exactly. Yeah. So there has to be uh there has to be a transition. Um and you know of course there does have to be uh be a balance. Um but I think you know secondhand I don't think it's just an answer to um overconsumption, but I do think it is an answer to overproduction as well. Mm. Um and I think it's an you know Yes, if we stopped manufacturing, um, it would be an economical disaster. However, imagine if you each year a brand set a target and it was like, well, this year we're going to make 10% of our product from materials that already exist and they kind of ramp it up each year. So that, you know, begins to solve the problem of of extraction and production and um, monocropping and all the kind of things that go into this, this right. over um overproduction um so i think it's you know it it can be i don't think it's just a consumer facing solution i think it can hold the key to you know to a system change in a completely different way uh of manufacturing um yeah. and it would likely have to move away from mass manufacturing because you know taking apart 10 different styles of genes is very different to manufacturing 10 of the exact same style of genes. Um, so there's an inherent kind of slowdown there as well. Um, but I think it's a two-pronged thing that it serves consumers, but it could also serve brands if they were to actually see it as a um, as a resource beyond just resale and kind of saw it as a, as right. a workable material. Mm. Yeah, I get that's a good point. I mean, it's you think if you're the head of a, a large, you know, apparel maker you know, you're going to respond to market forces and you it's a box checking exercise, right? It's like, well, we have secondhand mm -hmm. now, like, like, like everybody should, we should have this. And I'm sure you can talk yourself into it pretty quickly. And, you know, then, but your, your responsibility is to your shareholders, whether, you know, whoever mm -hmm. that could just be one person or that could be a, you know, a board of people or you could be publicly traded. Right. So you, you need to make, you have agreed to make them money somehow. And, you know, if you see that, oh, we can use our secondhand to drive first quality business, then, you know, I understand mm -hmm. the business decision to do that, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's another level. I don't know. Maybe we just need like a global, like public service campaign. To, to inform. Maybe it's not necessarily <laughs> about informing people to buy secondhand over, you know, just first quality, but uh, to say, you know, how do we address the, the need to buy thing, you know, uh, urge that we all have, right. How do we, how do we kind of get people over that? Right. Really? It's, it's, it's a, like everything else, it's not simple, I guess, is what it comes down to. It's not simple, no. But then again, I mean, we only have to go back a few decades to to predate the the level of consumption that we're at. And so I, right. I it almost troubles that me troubles me that we talk about it as if it's an impossibility. <laughs> um and in fact I was I was talking to a really amazing <laughs> academic this morning called Amy Twigger Holroyd, and she works on something called fashion fi uh, fashion fictions. 
where she gets people to imagine just completely new fashion worlds. You know, you don't have to root it within the realms of possibility. Just it can be whatever you want. And it can Mm -hmm. be, you know, everyone's issued um, a uniform. Uh, No one can buy anything. That's what everyone wants to wear every day. Or the only clothes that can be sold secondhand are blue. I mean, they're completely, you know, they can be verging on the ridiculous. But I think we need that kind of imagination because otherwise we do have conversations like this and we say, well, we're all addicted to shopping, so what can we do? And I right. think I think we can do something about it. And like you say about a, a global um, campaign, I definitely think we need awareness. But maybe we need like a global PR campaign as well. Yeah. Like it, ne- yeah. it needs to be it needs to be cool and it needs to not feel like um, like a burden. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, we need to have a complete kind of um, perception change. Um, there's a really there's a, a stylist um, on Twitter. She's called um, Lake in the Stylist, stylized like uh, Megan the Stallion, and she um, she made a comment once saying something like, "Oh, so you're telling me like none of your outfits were cute enough to wear again? That's so tragic." And it's just <laughs> a complete like flips the idea of of kind of wearing things once around it becomes like an embarrassing thing that you wouldn't do it again because your outfit was such a failure so imagine if we just kind of thought about that mindset shift and that uh, kind of attitude shift and behavior shift I think you know we need to think uh bigger about how we can um you know how we can tackle this and kind of use as much imagination as we can possibly muster yeah, where are the celebrities on this? Like, let's get, we can't get like Drake and Harry Styles to like, you know, like get, go all and not, not do a new product line, you know, like with, with, with mm-hmm. whatever brand. And it's like, no, 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 you guys are going to be the secondhand people and get your mm-hmm. legions of young followers to want to go to thrifting. Like, how yeah. about you do that? Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. There was a bit of a, I don't know if you're familiar with Love Island. I don't think it has been a bit mm-hmm. of a hit in the US, but it's a, it's a really trashy, awful show. Where people go to an island and oh and like yes, couple okay. up, I, yeah, I'm awful, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for years they've had fast fashion sponsors until the last two seasons when they've been sponsored by eBay. And so they instead of them wearing uh-huh. fast fashion on the island, they're wearing um you know clothes sourced from eBay. It's all second hand. Um, you know, it's not my taste. Love Love Island isn't my show, but it's an audience that primarily engages with fast fashion. So how amazing! For for secondhand right. to be the kind of the the sponsor for that show. So so, so you can the you, more this of that, is a the safe better. space. This is a safe space. You can talk about. <laughs> we we can do a breakdown if you want. I'll watch a few episodes. We can do start doing recap shows. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I haven't watched a single episode. However, it's it, it's supposed to be amazing. So maybe I need maybe that can no, be no, no, no. <laughs> I I think the words amazing and and most reality shows should never probably be paired together. It in. Uh, <laughs> um, Guilty pleasure is what. Perhaps. No, that's incredible, right? I mean, think about to your point, like Mm -hmm. they, I would imagine those fast fashion brands we sponsored before probably got a pretty good hit from a show like that, right? Like a pretty good bump from that. So that's a pretty forward way of thinking of the producers of those shows to kind of like to go to, to go to there versus like, let's just keep cashing those checks from whatever big brand wants to write them. Yeah, of course. And so I think, you know, the more of that we can get, the better. We need people who people look up to who have like a full secondhand wardrobe. Imagine that. Amazing. Or like going on the red carpet. This is secondhand. All that kind of stuff. Exactly what you need. Yeah. And it's a good point about the just a few decades ago. I mean, my my parents are still alive and my father was born in 1936. Right. And it really Mm -hmm. wasn't until about 19. It was right after World War Two when the big economic boom hits that all of a sudden now Mm -hmm. we have choices. Otherwise, 
you know, if if you were a boy in 1946, you were wearing a tailored hand-me-down of your father's suits, <laughs> probably, right? You had two shirts, one pair mm -hmm. of shoes, you know, it's kind of the way it was. Mm. And, you know, then we got into the, the good old, you know, it, it, all of a sudden synthetics get invented and it's cheaper to make yeah. it. And now now here we go. Um, and, and not to paint all that, you know, there's there's been upsides to a lot of that. And there's you know, there's mm -hmm. it's, that's a, that's its own conversation. But it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that we can't figure out a way to balance it out. And kind of to that person I was talking about, um, you know, we're going to continue to make new stuff. But this mm -hmm. can be that, like, we could, this is how we deal with sort of that consumption problem. And then, yeah, we do find that balance in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, it has, it, it has to be. Um, because I think so much of the conversation around sort of fixing apparel and fixing fashion is really focused on kind of novel materials and novel recycling technology. Um, but there are so many existing solutions like circularity, like mending, yeah. like secondhand, that we absolutely have to maintain and and push alongside that. They have to go hand in hand. I don't think you can have one without the other. No, I mean, if you read um, uh, Unraveled by Maxine Badat, right? And she talks about, she she tracks, you know, the paragenes from a cotton field mm. in Texas to a landfill in Ghana, right? And it's, and it, you yeah. know, and, and at 20 years ago, that would have been, most of that would have been domestically produced in the United States before it, it probably sold secondhand, right? So, yes. but the, so the point is even before, that we that's we're even not even talking about the manufacturing side of things that need to be you know rectified and and the, the mm -hmm. sort of the complications of all those things it's like mm -hmm. well if we just the simplest path here is like let's just reuse what we make now we can we can address how and where we make it down the road <laughs> yeah. a little bit but let's yeah. just we have all this stuff like how do yeah. we kind of you know how do we can make sure it stays in circulation longer um that would solve a lot of problems on its own mm -hmm. um start we what would you like to see happen with uh with consumers and how they engage a second hand what, what are some tips that, that you mm. would encourage people to employ if they're kind of more in my boat of i don't i don't think of second hand yeah i mean i have the motto second hand first so i always would look um for a second hand option before so if if people can kind of adopt that mindset that's great because you know, over 100 billion items have been made every year. Track that back however long that's been happening. There is so much that exists. It's it's probably out there. So if you can kind of have a reminder on your phone or have like a pop-up on your computer every time you're going to go and buy something, like that would be amazing to, right. you know, just like look at Depop or Vestiaire or, what, you know, wherever it is. Um, You know, and and also just go and go and have a look at some secondhand because to some people, I think it, it, it feels a bit almost like scary or I've not done this before. I don't really know what I'm looking for. Um, but I think you see, you see the quality. If you look at garments that were made, say like in the eighties or nineties and then compare them to now, yeah. I think the difference in quality in terms of like seams, linings, uh, fiber mix, so how, how buttons are stitched on. Um, it's almost incomparable. Right. Um, so, you know, if you kind of allow yourself to, um almost like allow yourself a bit of education um and kind of do a bit of a compare and contrast i think that's that's really important because then you'll kind of see uh the inherent value that's there and you'll see that it's actually worth worth putting your um your money that way and then you know i i'm a fashion person i'm a fashion writer so i would also say that there is just so much kind of individuality to be found there as well so if you really yeah. want to you know like um I guess walk your own path and there's a lot of talk about um uh kind of cheaper brands serving subcultures and sort of 
it's a strange strange conversations happening about there that it's kind of the only way you can be edgy and I reject that and say like no be <laughs> be like punk and reject the system and go for second hand and find your individuality yeah. there you're not going to find 10 of the same item on a rack but you're going to find one amazing like you know 1960s blazer that no one else is going to have and so if you, you there's that so much more expression to be found in that avenue as well so I mean, I I could sit and talk about this for five hours and tell you why <laughs> everything that's amazing about secondhand. No, but you're you're right. So my my kids, who I mentioned, like they in the one thing I love about the younger generation now is that that personal expression is encouraged. You know, yes. I feel like I was grew up in a you have to conform, pick your pick your one of the three groups that exist in the school <laughs> and dress like they do. And um, you know, they love, that's when they love going to the, the secondhand stores and coming up, mm -hmm. coming back with something they know no one else is going to have on at school. And mm -hmm. even just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was visiting my folks uh, back on the East coast of the U S and they, you know, my mom who's in her eighties kind of gave all my kids, uh, some of her clothes, which are, you know, Talbot style, like you know, mm. older, you know, kind of things you wouldn't expect, but you know, now here's my 12 year old with a pair of jorts that she got at you know at a thrift <laughs> shop when my mom's sort of like green cardigan sweater with like gold buttons on it that but she looked awesome you know it's like she yeah. nobody had that on you know so now yeah. that sweater will live on and it's too big for her now she's gonna have that for the next 10 years yeah and it's uh, great yeah the personal expression thing is not to be underrated i feel like no not at all i think you know there is there's so much to be said for how uh fast fashion and the kind of modern um fashion system has really homogenized style and kind of who we identify with and and I think you can really break out of that if you if you look at secondhand because you're not beholden to what some uh CEO or buyer who's ultimately chasing money has decided is going right. to sell most that season it's all about what you want to see in yourself and how you want the world to see you I want to take some of that pressure off from the like reading the ingredient label kind of thing too of like oh mm. i can buy this because it has this in it i can feel okay spending yes. my money here it's like no just go to a thrift shop and buy it and then when you're done with it donate it back like it's just like it makes it real simple absolutely um, yeah on the outdoor side and i should have mentioned earlier i feel bad uh, the, the retailer i was talking about was geartrade.com and i have had a few moments of and when you think about outdoor consumers where I mentioned before, yeah, it's a lot of t-shirts and trucker caps, but there is a lot of need driving it as well. Like a lot of times you're thinking I'm doing this activity and you think, oh, I, I need a new pair of pants for that or something else. Yes. And I've told even my oldest daughter who gets like, oh, dad, I want a new fleece. It's like, okay, worn wear by Patagonia or geartrade.com yeah. and at least go yeah. there first. You know, and that's kind of, mm -hmm. we were at the climbing gym actually. And my, my daughter's like, I wanted, wanted to get a pair of Prana pants and you look on gear trade and I mean, you're mm -hmm. at the whim of whoever sent them in for the most part. Mm -hmm. And then you get some overages from some companies but, mm -hmm. you know, there's a pair of climbing pants in her size. Great. It's going to be cheaper, number one. And number yeah. two, you know, and then if it's really a desperate need, you know that there, the other first quality options are out there if you really want to go. That's it. But mm -hmm. I think the outdoor side of things, this is where, you know, outdoor community, I'm speaking to you, uh, where we can lead <laughs> a little bit by letting the need of our activities drive our purchasing decisions, not just you know, the latest email blast from the brand that you like and ooh, ooh, I need to get that new color of that thing I already have, you know, it's hard to ignore that. Yeah, sometimes. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because sometimes, certainly from like coming at this from the fashion space, I think often that outdoor apparel sector is almost kind of let off the hook because it's like, well, you know, you're wearing outdoors oh. like you're at one with nature. 
right they're amazing and i think yeah there does have to be yeah there is that correlation there does have to be that kind of responsibility absolutely oh i feel the greenwashing is worse on our on the outdoor side because because they can get away with like well it's it's the North Face. Like, it's fine. It's like, like they're like a $1.9 billion company. Like, how do you think they're making all that money, right? So yeah. it's, uh, you know, the, the the little boutique places, those are cool. And a lot of them, the funny thing is mm-hmm. the more expensive, smaller ones who are striving to become the bigger ones are mm-hmm. usually sourcing locally, manufacturing locally, like all the things you would want. And that's another way. That's if you it. can spend the money, that's definitely, if you're going to buy first quality, you're better off supporting those places. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be things like economies of, of scale at, at play. But, um, right, you know, right. if if you are in that economic position to be able to do that, then I think you know, there is almost a responsibility to do it. Um, but of course, that's not the the route that, that everyone is able to go down in right. order to kind of support that, um, you know, the the values that they have. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I'm seeing some really cool stuff coming through in kind of local um, manufacturing and independent brands, like an amazing... Um, rainwear brand who i'm afraid i've forgotten the name of but it's all made of um like recycled tent material and it's kind of patchwork and it, it looks amazing and i think you know if yeah. i was going out on like a hike or skiing or something i want to wear that i don't want to wear the the <laughs> puffer that everyone else has that everybody else right yeah so last thing before i let you go i definitely have noticed a few things on the more on the big box side of things like that uh there's some brands who are using secondhand as market research right and they're kind of maybe to fuel some other sides of their business can you can you tell us a little bit about that Yes, I definitely can. I was, and I actually didn't see this coming and I'm kind of, I'm almost ashamed because I'm normally so cynical and, and <laughs> see these things coming down the line. I knew this is what they were going to do. Like- <laughs> exactly. But this blindsided me. Yeah. So when, when she and exchange um, launched, which is their uh, resell circularity, whatever they want to call it program, um, they, they said, okay, you know, this is what we're launching, but we're going to use um the platform essentially as market research so if um crop tops are selling really well if leggings are selling really well you know if check shirts are selling really well on resale then we're going to gather that information and use it to inform what we're what we're making new so they're using the sale of secondhand goods as market research to fuel more production of new goods and if that's not you know like i said circular or cynical if that's not cynical then (laughs) You know, I don't know what it's. It's it's. Um, how would they? How would yeah. you even go? I mean, is it? Is there? Is that market data even available? Like, how do you? Are they just looking at it from from other big secondhand retailers? Is that where they're getting? Where do they get the information to like to feel to, well, to they, even inform that? Yeah. So they. It's their own. It's their own platform. Oh, it's their use, secondhand. Their so they launch a sec. So it's exactly. not even. Oh man, that is diabolical. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're kind of. Um, they're sort of scraping all the data off their off their consumers who they're encouraging to be circular and then using it as information to to make make more new stuff. <laughs> you know, I you know grew up in the 1980s when you know movies portrayed like the villains as villains and they're one dimensional, twisting their mustache, <laughs> right? You know, I want to kill everybody and make all the money, and there was no nuance to them. And you realize, like, well, most people have a little more to them. But tell you, what, Sheehan is maybe the example that maybe people like that do exist in the world. Oh gosh, I, yeah, they're the is it who is it? Scrooge McDuck? You know, they just dive yeah. into their into their right. mountains of money. <laughs> right. Right. Can we make a new uh, this this coming this Christmas? You know the new uh, Christmas Carol, but it's the CEO <laughs> of Sheehan. <you> know? <laughs> Please, that sounds like a really good like subversive uh, campaign. 
Well, I would say then uh, to the to the outdoor community, let's let's do let's do our best to to not let our outdoor brands become the new Shein and just uh, <laughs> and just and go. And don't don't buy. You know what? Don't buy secondhand from the brands. Go to a secondhand retailer. That's that's the, the best advice I could probably give you. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. And also secondhand first. I think that's the rule to live by. Oh, I think you just named, you just gave me the title for the episode. It's great. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Colin. It's been really fun. All right, that's our show for today. A big thank you to my guest, Sophie Benson. Again, head to sophiebenson.com to check out her amazing work. I hope what you take, what you heard listening to Sophie and apply it to how you shop as an outdoorsy person. The answers aren't simple. Outdoor brands should not get a pass and secondhand should be your first stop for gear and apparel. We're going to have more on this topic coming very soon here on The Rock Fight. We are the self-proclaimed best new podcast in the outdoor space, and we want you to pick a rock fight with me. What are your experiences shopping secondhand or trying to find the best new products that are less impactful on the natural world? Send your comments and suggestions to myrockfight at gmail.com. I'm Colin True. Thanks for listening. The Rock Fight is a production of Rock Fight, LLC.